This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. So, um, our scripture reading, their second scripture reading this morning, is taken from Matthew 6.13, but I think to give us a little more context, I'm going to read the whole uh, passage. It's the Lord's Prayer. We're familiar with it, but I want to set it in the context of it. We're not going to be talking about the Lord's Prayer, but just one verse. Uh, but listen again to the reading of God's Word. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Pray then in this way, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful for this day that we can be here. We ask that you would just guide and direct our thoughts, our conversation, our meditation on your word and how it applies to our life today. And so we thank you for this time and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We continue our sermon series this morning from the Sermon on the Mount, a series that we have been calling Making the Good Life Real. And we have given this series of messages this title because Matthew 5 through 7, in these uh, passages, Jesus gives us his description, his vision, his take on what it's like to live the good life in his kingdom. So far we have looked at the Beatitudes, which are sayings of Jesus that summarize for us the character and qualities that God looks for in our lives. We have talked about the kind of influence we are to have as Christians. We have talked about, and especially about being salt and light in our world. We have talked about the kind of righteousness that Jesus looks for in our lives. And we also looked at what Christian love looks like, especially when there is relational pain. Last week, we talked about the kind of piety that Jesus looks for in his followers. Not a piety that is mostly for show, but a piety that comes from a heart that is saturated in prayer. Prayer that comes from the inside out. Now this morning, we are concentrating again on just one verse from the Lord's Prayer, and let's hear it again from Matthew 6.13. Jesus says, Do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This word translated trial here can also be translated temptation. And this, this, the way this verse is often translated and probably is most familiar to us is this. Lead us not into temptation, but rescue us or deliver us from evil. Temptation is the word we use when we say the Lord's Prayer. Now, this one verse deals with an issue that I'm sure that most of us can confidently say we wish we knew less about. I know it is for me. Temptation is one of those topics that we just wish we didn't know as much as we do. Someone once said, why is it that opportunity knocks only once, but temptation seems to knock all the time? Someone else said it this way, opportunity 
may knock only once, but temptation tends to lean on the doorbell. Lean on the doorbell. Now, of course, temptation in itself is not necessarily negative or bad. We can be tempted or enticed to do good things, important things, helpful things, positive things. Temptation is only negative or bad when we are tempted to do or say something that is not good, something that dishonors God or that is harmful to ourselves or is harmful to others or to our world. In other words, when we're tempted towards evil or to sin in some way. Now, it's not so much the being tempted, but the kind of temptation and what we do with it, whether we act on it or not, that makes it harmful and destructive. So I think this is the kind of temptation that Jesus is talking about and praying about here in this prayer. Lead us not into the temptation to do or say something that causes us to sin. Now, there is a lot that we could say about temptation. But this morning I want us to look at just three things about temptation that I think are important for us to remember. First of all, Scripture reminds us that God does not tempt us to evil, but we are tempted towards evil when we let our own lusts and desires and longings get the best of us, get away from us, lead us in harmful or destructive ways, or when we let Satan lead us in the wrong way. The Apostle James makes it clear that God does not tempt us towards evil, but we are tempted towards evil when our own lusts get in the way. Listen to what James says. He says, no one when being tempted should say, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. James goes on to say, but one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and that sin when it is fully grown gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my beloved. Since James makes clear here that God never tempts anyone, many scholars believe that what Jesus is really talking about here, praying here, is do not succumb to temptation. Do not fall into temptation. As if temptation was some kind of big hole that someone could fall into. I was reading recently uh, about sinkholes. You know those giant holes that open up in the ground? Uh, when you least expect it. And I looked on the Geological Survey uh, website this week and it said this about sinkholes. It said a sinkhole is an area of ground that has no natural external surface drainage. When it rains, the water stays inside the sinkhole and typically drains into the subsurface. Sinkholes can vary from a few feet to hundreds of acres, from less than one foot to more than a hundred feet deep. And then it went on to say, typically sinkholes form so slowly that little change is noticeable, but they can form suddenly when a collapse occurs. Such a collapse can have a dramatic effect. All the time it seems like we hear about houses and cars and animals and yes, even people falling into sinkholes, being swallowed up by these big holes in the ground. I read about a man in Mexico 
who fell into a sinkhole and was swept away in a drain, storm drain. Apparently a large sinkhole just opened up beneath him and he got carried away in underground currents. But what was really interesting to me, I saw a video uh, about a guy from a guy in the Bronx in New York who was swallowed up by a 12-foot sinkhole while he was waiting for a bus. And he described it as like being suctioned into the ground, being sucked into the ground. But the worst part about it is what he found at the bottom of the sinkhole. Huge rats. Apparently the rats were everywhere and so large that he didn't want to shout for help, he said, because he was afraid, I'm telling you the truth, that a rat might jump in his mouth. I know it's not a great image. I'm not making this up. It is New York. I don't know <laughs> what to say. When you think about it, the temptation to do something that we know is sinful or harmful or wrong can be very much like a sinkhole, a hole in the ground that can swallow us up very quickly. But then when the conditions are right, the temptation sinkhole collapses, and like a suction, it pulls us in, pulls us down if we are not careful. And like the guy in Mexico, it can carry us away to places that we don't want to go. Now, I don't know if Jesus had sinkholes in mind here when he's praying, lead us in, not into temptation. Probably not. But I think Jesus and the scripture reminds us that temptation can be like a giant sinkhole that can open up at any time in our lives. A sinkhole that will open up when we least expect it, just waiting for us to fall into it. And so we need to be diligent and prayerful that God will help us not to fall in. Secondly, the scriptures remind us that one of the most effective ways to deal with temptation towards evil is simply to flee from it. Now, fleeing temptation is not the only way to deal with tempting thoughts or situations. Sometimes it is appropriate for us to stand our ground, to face a temptation head on, whatever it might be. And I think Jesus himself sets an example of this early on in his ministry when he stood up to the temptations of the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Remember that story? Facing temptation head on sometimes produces in us qualities of endurance and steadfastness. No question about it. But the problem is many of us tend to overestimate our ability to deal with and overcome tempting situations. We like to think that we are in control. We like to think that we are strong and can handle anything. And sometimes we can. But the fact is many of us are more vulnerable to temptation than we like to admit. And that is why sometimes the best response when we are tempted is to flee, to emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically remove ourselves from whatever it is that is tempting us. Paul gives us this advice on several occasions in 1 Corinthians 6-18 when he says to the Corinthians, flee sexual immorality. And then later on in chapter 10, he says, flee from idolatry. In 1 Timothy 6.11, he says to his young friend Timothy, flee from worldly gain. Later on, he says, flee from the earthly, uh, from evil desires of, of youth. Flee, flee, flee. 
when I hear Paul's advice to flee temptation. I can't help but think of that scene in the movie trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, where that big ugly dragon, I don't remember what his name is, is chasing Gandalf the wizard and the fellowship, the good guys, and they come to the bridge, and as they're crossing over the bridge, this ugly creature falls off the bridge, but as he's falling down, he manages to grab one of Gandalf's legs. Remember that scene in the movie? Gandalf is just hanging on for dear life. And Gandalf's companions just stand there, looking on in horror, not knowing what it is that they are to do. And Gandalf, realizing the gravity of their situation, looks at them and says, fly, you fools. Remember that line? Great line. Apparently in the original movie it said, run, you fools, but they changed it to fly, you fools, in the DVD to be more faithful to the book. What I think Paul is saying here is simply this. Sometimes the best response to temptation, whatever it is, is to flee from it. Fly from it. Run from it. Maybe not all the time, but much of the time. We see a great example of this fleeing temptation in the passage from Genesis that Aaron wrote, uh, Aaron read a few minutes ago. Joseph was working as an Egyptian official uh, for a guy named Potiphar, and he became very successful. So successful, in fact, that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire household. Not only was Joseph an effective manager of the household, but he was also very good-looking. He was very handsome. And Potiphar's wife took notice of this. One of Debbie's friends, Julie, describes good-looking guys like Joseph as pleasant on the eyes. Joseph, Potiphar's wife, recognized that Joseph was pleasant on the eyes. So she tempts Joseph to sleep with her, but Joseph, realizing his integrity is at stake, refuses and reminds them that Potiphar has entrusted everything in his household to him except her. But of course, as so often happens, she will not listen. And she keeps after him day after day and week after week, begging him to sleep with her, but he refuses. And this goes on for some time until finally one day, Joseph, he goes in to do his regular household chores, but because there are nobody else, nobody else is around, Potiphar's wife seizes the opportunity. She grabs Joseph's garment and tries to physically force him into bed with her. And now again, Joseph, realizing the gravity of his situation and this temptation, breaks free. And what does he do? He flees. He flees out the door as fast as he can, leaving the garment behind in her hand. Now, we don't know if there was anything underneath. Scripture doesn't say. We don't need to know. But that's what happened. I think Joseph must have remembered this line from Lord of the Rings. Fly, you fool. Fly, you fool. In this situation, I think it was the correct response. As you know, the media today is filled with story after story of people, including Christians, who have flirted with temptation, especially temptations revolving money or sex or power and have not been able to handle it, have not fled, and have fallen into the sinkhole, into all kinds of trouble. Stories of shattered lives, broken relationships, abused people, 
Stories of what happens when we give in rather than get away. Now, unfortunately, many of us today are like the man coming out of the worship service who, after hearing a sermon on fleeing temptation, uh, was heard to say, sure, I'm willing to flee temptation as long as I can leave a forwarding address. So many of us are like that. We want to leave a forwarding address. Debbie and I are currently reading through the Proverbs, and just yesterday in Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, we read this. Writer Proverbs says, Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk, walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not go there in it. Turn away from it and pass on. What are the primary temptations to sin in your life? How are you dealing with them? Scripture says sometimes the best response to temptation, as the writer of Proverbs says, is to avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on to flee. Third and finally, the scriptures remind us that God does not allow us to be tempted or tested beyond what we can bear, but will always help us find a way to escape. The Apostle Paul, again, makes this clear in 1 Corinthians when he says this. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So often the real issue for us is not that God doesn't provide a way out of temptation, but we don't like the way out he provides. I'm sure you've heard the story of the guy who was stuck on the rooftop in a flood. He was praying to God for help. Soon a man in a rowboat, um, you know, there's this huge flood. He was on the top, the top floor, and, and this guy in a rowboat came by and shouted to the man on the roof, jump in, I can save you. The stranded fellow on the roof said, no, it's okay, I'm praying to God. He's going to save me, so the rowboat went on. And then a motorboat came by. And the fellow in the motorboat shouted, jump in, I can save you. And to this, the stranded man said, no thanks, appreciate it, but I'm praying to God and he's going to save me. I have faith. So the motorboat, uh, motorboat went on. Then a helicopter came by. And the pilot shouted down, shouted down, grab this rope and I'll lift you to safety. And to this, the stranded man replied, no thanks, I'm praying to God, and he's going to save me, I have faith. And so the helicopter left. And as you know, the waters continued to rise, and the guy drowned. And he went to heaven. He finally got his chance to discuss this whole situation with God, at which point he exclaimed, I had faith in you, but you didn't save me. You let me down, and I don't understand why. And then God replied, I sent you a rowboat, and a motorboat, and a helicopter. What else did you need? <laughs> I was reminded of this today, just walking here this morning. Uh, uh, when I was walking, Debbie came early to play music, and so she drove the car, and I said to her, I'll walk. It's about three miles. I was planning to leave a little earlier than I actually left, and so it was late, and I realized I might not make this. I need to really walk fast. But I, I realized I still probably wasn't going to make it. Um, and I realized that, so I was walking along fast, and who should drive by? Sarah. 
She said, jump in. I mean, I think that was exactly your words. I said to her, oh, it's okay. You know, I, 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 I like to walk, and I think I can make it, and I appreciate it. Um, and then God said to me, you are late, and you're going to be even later. What more do you need? <laughs> so I jumped in. You know, I got here in plenty of time. I had extra time to spare. See, God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle, but will also provide a way out. That's the promise of Scripture. But we need to be willing to take the way out. He provides. The help or rescue he may have already put in front of us. We must be willing to seek out and use the physical and human and spiritual resources he makes available to us to deal with the trials and temptations that come our way. My temptation in this, in this case was to be stupid. And fortunately, I got over the stupid and got in the car and got here. One of the reasons God has given us each other in the church is so, is so we can help and encourage one another as we face various temptations. As you know, and has already been said, today is Pentecost Sunday, the day in the church year when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the early church. And in the final analysis, I believe one of the greatest, if not the greatest resource Jesus has given to us to help us deal with all kinds of things in our lives, including the difficult temptations we struggle with, is his spirit living in us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul says, Do you know that you who believe are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? Isn't that an amazing thought? When we put our faith in Jesus and when we trust our lives to Him, Paul says God sends to us the very Spirit of God to dwell within us. The Spirit, of course, dwells within us for a number of reasons. But one reason Paul tells us in Romans 8.26 is to help us in our weakness. One of the key roles of the Spirit living within us is to give us help when we are weary, comfort when we are afflicted, hope when we are discouraged, and strength when we are tempted. And Paul says we need to make sure we walk in the Spirit and are filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit every day. That's what the Spirit did for the early church. That's what the Spirit will do for us. When you find temptations that you cannot handle, knocking at your door, or possibly leaning on your doorbell, how do you respond? The best resource we have is God's Spirit dwelling within us. And we need to learn, we need to lean on the Spirit by giving Him full access to our lives and by abiding in Him through scripture reading and prayer and fellowship and worship and simply seeking to be accessible and open to how He might be leading us. When temptations knock at our door or ring at our doorbell, we need to ask ourselves, who or what are we leaning on? On our own strength, on our own abilities, on our own willpower, or the power and resources of the Spirit dwelling within us? Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful um, that we are yours. That you call us by name. You love us with an everlasting love. 
and you are so close to us, you've even given your spirit to dwell within us. We don't fully understand how that all is, but we know it is true. And Lord, we live in an increasingly difficult and some would say tempting world. All the time we face temptations to do and say things that we either know or suspect are not good, are not healthy, are not whole. And so we ask today on this Pentecost Sunday that you would truly fill us with your spirit, that you'd help us to not quench your spirit, not hinder your spirit, but to let your spirit have free reign in our lives, and especially in those times when we face difficulty and hardships and temptations of various kinds. We are grateful that you have not left us alone, but that you are with us always. Lord, we pray for all of the items that are listed in the bulletin, many things to be praying for, especially during this time of transition and change in the life of our congregation. We pray that you would, you would be leading and guiding in that whole process and in every way. And we pray for those seeking healing and comfort for Pat Brown and for Jim Singleton, Maureen Lawler, the recent, recent passing of her sister. Lord, all of us today come with needs and concerns on our hearts. Some we have shared, some we have not shared, but we all have them. And so now, in this moment, we release them to you and pray that you would be at work in every one of our situations and difficult, difficulties we encounter. And so, Lord, we are grateful for all that you give and do for us each day. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Actually, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. It's in your bulletin. Some of you probably have it memorized. Let's do that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive us our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.